Time Limit. I'm your host, Brett Harnett. My guest today is Jacob Bodnar. He's the VP of Operations at Maestra, which is a design and technology agency based in Michigan. Jacob is really well-researched on the topic of bias. So in our conversation, we dig into the different types of bias, how bias is manifest in project management and in teams, and even how to overcome bias. Then we also zero in on bias in project estimation, which is a topic that Jacob has really established some great thoughts and practices on. Check it out. Hey, Jacob, how's it going? It's going really well, Brett. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks. Great to have you here. Thanks for making the time to talk to me. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to be here. Looking forward to the conversation. Awesome. So yeah, today we're going to talk about estimating projects and even bias in estimating. So you're going to be presenting on that topic at the 2020 Digital PM Summit, which is going to be happening online. And I'm curious, you know, we didn't really talk about this much. How did you come up with the topic or why is the topic important to you? Yeah, so I've always been interested in kind of the way the brain works and sort of the idiosyncrasies of the human mind. And um, in my role, my previous role, I was a strategist at the agency I work for. And we did a lot of work with um, companies and training employees and their learning teams and things like that. And through that work, I started to kind of think through, um, well, you know, we're all, when, when companies train people, they're training, you know, they're all adult humans. And there's some commonality in how your brain consumes information and sort of uh, the science behind that. So I started to dive into that as part of that strategy work and as part of actual client work. And um, and we just got really interested in it and it ended up being really illuminating for some of the client work we did. And then as I started to kind of build into a role at the organization that was kind of working more on the business, um, I started to become more responsible for project management and the estimation process and things like that. And that sort of led to this understanding of, well, estimating is such an important thing of, of what we do at our business. Um, how can we make it better? And uh, what, do, what can I figure out from sort of how we as humans are good or bad at estimating or, you know, even, you know, planning projects in general and, um, and use that to our benefit and try to correct some of those things. So that's sort of where it was born out of. And then I just sort of went down a deep rabbit hole of all of the, uh, all of the literature and stuff that comes out of that and, and how that can apply to what we do. And that's sort of where the idea was born. Cool. I love it. I think one thing that you mentioned was like bias and planning and all of that. And it feels to me like kind of a level up above kind of bias and estimation um, in the role that we're kind of talking about. It seems like there's probably bias in project management. And I'm wondering if you think that there is bias in project management and where it might exist. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely <clears throat> bias in project management as project managers. Um, again, like as humans, we have these, these biases that we have. Um, and you'll hear them called just cognitive biases or sometimes heuristics. Uh, and basically what they are, just essentially like shortcuts for our brain to do things. Um, if we are exposed to just thousands. I mean, just think of all the different stimulus you're exposed to in any given day. Things that are unconscious and subconscious or subconscious and conscious um, and how your brain deals with it. And so your brain has to kind of come up with all these ways to make sense of everything that you are exposed to uh, throughout the day. And so it has little shortcuts that it does and little things that it does in order to process stuff without exerting so much energy, right? There's like, there's this idea of fast thinking and slow thinking. You know, the idea being there's, there's fast thinking things. So like things that are really habitual, like driving a car, you know, you don't really think about stopping when the light's red, 
it just sort of happens because it's very subconscious and it's just ingrained in you versus slow thinking things, which is really where project management would fall, which is like stopping and actually being very intentional about what you're doing and thinking about what you're doing. And what's interesting is a lot of these little shortcuts your brain takes will find its way into these slow thinking activities like managing a project or planning a project or whatever. And, uh, and sometimes those things aren't totally logical. And so there's, uh, there, and it, it makes it worse because when you're planning a project or when you're thinking about a project, you sort of are in a, in a place of great uncertainty, certainly at the beginning of a project, if you're thinking about the onset of it. Um, you know, you're, you're, you don't know a whole lot. You're the, the wide end of that cone of uncertainty. And so your brain has to fill in those gaps too. So that makes it hard. So the big one that kind of impacts all of this is called the planning fallacy, which is a cognitive bias that basically says that as humans, we, our ability to predict the future is actually like really bad, uh, which isn't really surprising to many people. <laughs> and we tend to have an optimism bias for doing that. And everybody probably has experienced this if you've done a home project or like gone on a road trip and you think like, oh yeah, like, you know, replacing the floor in my kitchen, like I'll do that in a weekend and it'll be like, you know, 500 bucks and it's $2,000 later and, you know, seven weeks later and you're still, you know, without a floor. Um, we tend to think we can do things a lot faster than we really can. And we also tend to think that the risks won't really be as bad and that the benefits will be really good. And we're just overall like really bad at that. And so that comes into project management, obviously. Uh, when you're planning out a project, you might think that, you know, the, you, you might downplay the risks for whatever reason, or you might think that it might go faster than it might otherwise, or certainly people on the team might think that way. So there's a lot of those little things that come into the process of project management that can, that can color things and create a little bit of a haywire. Yeah. So it sounds like some of the ways that it can, uh, bias can affect a PM or even projects is, like you mentioned, the planning fallacy, thinking that you can get something done at a lower budget, at a higher pace or, or a, a, in a quicker clip than normal. What about affecting people like stakeholders or clients? Have you seen bias affect those audiences, like the bias a PM might hold affect them? Oh yeah, for sure. I think there's, there's a lot of bias too around um, sort of how you, the decisions you make based upon how you feel about something positively or negatively or someone positively or negatively. So that could come into play if you've got a project that you're really positive about, you're really excited about, you can tend to make more emotional decisions in those instances and not necessarily think through all the objective criteria that you might otherwise want to as part of a project. Same thing if you have a bad relationship with a client or a stakeholder or a positive one for that matter, that can, that can affect things in terms yeah. of how you think through a project. Um, so that's a big one as well. Cool. I, I wonder, you know, it's like you, you can talk about these biases and there are things that we almost inherently just do um, or, or ways that, that we kind of behave or things that we believe. And you're, you sound super researched on this. So I'm, I'm excited to hear your response, but how do you think a project manager can start to curb that bias to kind of course correct? So you're not getting into situations where you think things are rosy, but you're also not going so far in the other direction that you're, you're like almost paralyzed to make a move. Like what are things that you can do to, to set, set things straight, I guess? Yeah, for sure. I think the first thing is just know, knowing some of these things exist mm -hmm. uh, and sort of knowing the tricks your brain kind of plays on you sometimes. Uh, and if you know that, then you can start to be cognizant of it. And that's really like at our agency where I work, that's really kind of the, the tack we've taken on it is 
here are some of the things that you will experience, whether it's in estimating or in project management, and just be aware of them. And also like enabling people to like call each other out on it. And one of the interesting things too, I think is also using your team as sort of a, a check and balance. So what's interesting about the planning fallacy, which is where you're you know, overly optimistic about the future, is that tends to be true of the things that you're doing. So it's usually one's own tasks that you're, you're optimistic about. So if I go to a designer and I say, how long is it gonna take to design this thing? They're probably gonna give me an optimistic answer. But what's interesting is when you're another person estimating on behalf of someone else or thinking about someone else's tasks, you actually tend to have an, a strong pessimistic bias. Mm-hmm. So you tend to think it's going to take a lot longer than what it might actually take. So obviously those naturally balance, right? So as a project manager, you could ask somebody, you know, what's it going to take to do something? What do you think? And then, you know, they're going to be optimistic. You know, you're going to be pessimistic. So maybe somewhere in the middle is kind of where the truth lies. Mm-hmm. So sort of balancing each other a little bit too within those biases, I think helps a lot. But the big thing is just kind of knowing they exist, knowing what they are and kind of, and making sure the team knows what they are too and kind of holding each other accountable to those things. Yeah, it's almost like just getting facts out and just being honest and committing to one another that you're going to do what you think is right. You might end up being wrong at points, but you're kind of in it together to kind of get past some of that bias. Because I think I'm sitting here thinking a bias that a lot of PMs experience and and things that, uh, you know, a bias that I feel like I've experienced earlier in my career is the bias against a PM, right? Like there are teams or individuals within teams who just think that PMs aren't worth their weight or there's no need to have that person in the role. Do you have any thoughts on on that? Yeah, for sure. I think that that's, I think that what's interesting about that is sort of, um, that's sort of another kind of like brain thing too, is we, we, we t- our brain likes to compartmentalize things. And, uh, and put things into, uh, into what's called schemas, which are just kind of easy ways to identify stuff. And you tend to do that in your professional career, right? I mean, whether it's a, another role that has that feeling about project managers and says, oh, you know, they're just professional organizers and they're not really doing anything or, you know, or if it's a project manager that has that feeling about another role, like a sales role, right? Because those tend to kind of butt heads if you're in, if you have those types of uh, situations. And I think those are, really good things to just, again, be aware of and kind of put out in the open and like sometimes just say like, hey, look, I understand like this is the value that I bring. Here's what I'm doing. And most of that's just like getting to a place of understanding. Like usually those types of um, those types of ways we box people into those roles and kind of compartmentalize people's roles and, and devalue them sometimes is usually just from a place of like, I just don't really understand what you do. And so I I see that you do this. And so I kind of make up this story in my head. Again, the brain sort of makes up, you know, stories because it needs to fill the gaps of the unknown. And so I think you're right. Like just, just opening it up and coming from a place of understanding with everybody um, will usually, will usually help, at least help solve that problem. Absolutely. I, I'm, this is really like, I really like this conversation. There are so many big themes here that are relevant for in, in a lot of a lot of other areas in our lives but this idea of just like getting to a place of understanding to kind of overcome the bias is is huge and i'm wondering if you've got any experience or there are any kind of things that you do within your role or have done in the past where you kind of rally the team to get to a place of understanding yeah I think the biggest thing 
and this is this the biggest thing is just kind of having a culture of that obviously mm-hmm. um, if you've got if you work in a place where there is a culture or you're in a position where you can help set that culture of understanding I think is huge just encouraging people to uh, deal with issues or deal with frustrations with people kind of head on and open it up and talk about it, it as you know so much I think in the there's there's a there's a sea change in this I think a lot of t- in the professional world but it used to be very much so that like you would kind of you know, gripe to your boss or your manager about frustrations you have. And then your manager would talk to that person's manager and they would figure it out. And then it would just never really get resolved because the conflict was between the two people that were below that manager. And I think that there's definitely a cultural change happening in, in a lot of professional organizations where that's more of like, no, deal more directly with the in those individuals. That's, that's what I always encourage my team to do is, hey, if you've got a frustration with somebody um, or I hear consistent themes of it, it's always, hey, go try to understand what they're going through. And I think if you're in a place where maybe you're one of two or you're on a smaller team, I think just having somebody who can help you, who can hold you accountable to that. Because again, it's really hard as an individual to sort of recognize that you have those thoughts or that you have that bias or you have that feeling towards somebody and then kind of take that action. And people tend to beat themselves up about that, but that's unfair because as humans, like we're just, we're not good at that. We're, you know, there's a certain level of self-awareness we can have. And there's some people have a lot of it. There's some people have a little of it, but being able to like self-recognize some of those things is really tough. And so having somebody who can be really honest with you and push you and be accountable to say, Hey, you really need to understand what this person's, where this person's coming from and have more empathy too in that situation. Having somebody, a third party to, to push you in that direction is is super super helpful and and whether that's your manager or it's a colleague or it's a friend or whatever or it's a spouse it doesn't matter just somebody who can help you kind of recognize the the situation see the forest for the trees yeah somebody to push you to be more empathetic right or at least to open yourself up to other points of view yeah you know just kind of on the topic of bias that I, i feel is kind of timely right now is you know, there's a bias out there that people won't be productive when they're working from home. And to me, like that statement kind of really, it it pulls everything you said together right now, because I think people are learning that that's not true, that 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 bias is incorrect. And I think it's going to start to change the way we're working and the way that we practice work for years to come. So anyway, not really a question there. I just kind of wanted to mention that. I think it's kind of interesting. I don't know if you've seen kind of any of that kind of bias in your workplace or previous workplaces. Oh yeah, for sure. I think when, um, especially when the, when, you know, when the pandemic started uh, and we all had to work from home, you know, there was this little bit of a fear in our company, I'll be honest, where it was like, okay, what's productivity going to be like? Are we going to really, like, is this going to really hurt things? And we had this bias of like, yeah, it's going to. And I think if you actually sit down, that's the other thing too, with when you have these thoughts is to kind of try to force yourself to sit down and be like, why do I actually think this? You know, what are the facts that actually support what I'm thinking? And in that situation, the facts are pretty slim. Like there's not really great objective data unless, unless you, or maybe it's colored. I mean, this is another sort of bias that you have Mm -hmm. with in your brain of, uh, it's called the availability heuristic, which is this idea that immediate things that are able to come to your mind um, will color how you feel, think about them. So if you just had a situation where you had, sure, you might've had an employee or somebody on the team who did work from home a lot and was really unproductive. And that might come to your mind, A, you might be incorrectly linking those two things. Uh, and B, that, prob- that might color your thought process on working from home just simply because it happened recently. 
even though it has no impact on, of course, the future of how other people will work from home. But your brain is going to bubble that up and say, this is relevant. And you're going to think, oh, yeah, that's really important. And that's going to then, you know, change how you think of things. So I totally see that. And, um, and I think it's interesting that now that we've had like the world's largest experiment of working from home and actually been able to sort of collect data on it, we've been able to see that in, in many cases, people are more productive working from home right. uh, than they otherwise were in an open space office where there's, you know, thousands of distractions. Right. Yeah, it, it absolutely makes sense. It's interesting how, though, once you have the data, you can prove the bias wrong to convince people, but it can be so personal that it, it might not, like, without that data, it, it's just hard to kind of prove otherwise, right? Yeah. So let's, let's jump into bias and estimation. You know, I, I think it's pretty obvious that, you know, not all projects are equal, not all project managers are equal. We're all working in different industries. Some projects aren't even estimated. So this doesn't apply to everyone, right? But you know, I kind of want to talk about common ways of estimating projects just to kind of kick the idea of bias and estimation off. I'm wondering if you can talk about like the way that you estimate projects and what some good practices for estimation might be. Yeah. So our method of estimating, I think, is 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 probably pretty similar across places that estimate. I mean, our our big thing is basically just if we've got a process in place for the work that we do, obviously we'll follow that as best we can. But it's basically the idea of taking sort of the end goal and breaking it down into its requisite parts to figure out, okay, how are we, what are the steps that we're going to take to get there from a medium to high level, get as detailed as we can, and then just start to pull in the subject matter experts around that and start to have a conversation around what do you think the work effort is here? And really, I always say that like the estimation process is just as much um, qualitative as it is quantitative, which is to say that we should be having, we should be documenting the conversation that we're having and figuring out what are the gaps and what we know and what we don't know. What are the assumptions that we're making around a lot of this stuff um, and document those. So we have those on hand as well as start to put numeric values to work effort and try to figure that out. Of course, in our business, being an agency, you know, estimating is a prerequisite to charging the client money so it, it's, a, it's a dependency. We have to do it. And obviously that's different for different people. And certainly if you're a project manager in a company, you might not have a, a similar as strict of, of process or guidelines. But um, so that's sort of our process. And we'll, we'll break it down into the parts. We'll bring the subject matter experts in. We'll have a conversation around these parts, see what the gaps are, see what assumptions we're making, try to get to as good of a place as possible for you know, how long we feel like something's going to take. And then one of the, the two kind of bigger things, sort of the best practices, I think that we would say are breaking things down into smaller parts, like I mentioned. And our rule of thumb is if something's, if you tell me something's going to take 10 days to do, it needs to be broken down smaller than that. Like there's a certain point where just, again, as, as humans and in our brain, like we just can't conceptualize time very well. Mm -hmm. And so it's really hard to tell me something's going to take 15 or 20 days and you really be able to kind of understand that that's going to take that long. So that's sort of a flag. And we'll say, okay, let's break that down further. And then the other thing is to, to do it in ranges. Um, we used to do estimating where we would just say, okay, 20 hours, 15 hours, and we just have one number. And it's kind of silly because, again, you're at the beginning of the project. You don't know a whole lot. Everything you're looking at has unknowns in it, whether you realize it or not. And so we always say, like, put a, put a low end, put a high end. And then that becomes a useful tool to say, if the delta between the low and the high is, is big, 
there's a lot of stuff we don't know there. So you better have good kind of documentation about what are we missing to need to tighten this up? What are the big risks here? What are the assumptions here? So it gives you kind of a tool to scan through and say, okay, what parts do I maybe need more information on or have inherent risk in them that we need to be able to pinpoint and talk about and figure out how we're going to manage. Yeah. Our practices sound pretty similar. Um, to me, it really is about breaking down every step. So I'm a big fan of the work breakdown structure. Just like you said, if somebody says it's going to take 10 days to do something, I want to know why it's going to take 10 days and then break mm -hmm. that down into the task level. And then, you know, that then downstream can help you with planning and resourcing and all of that awesome stuff. But I'm curious, um, where do you think bias creeps into that process of estimation? Yeah. So it's, so going back to the, I mean, the first piece is like we talked about with the planning fallacy, which is if you ask someone how long it's going to take to design this logo or whatever, uh, they're going to be naturally optimistic. And so they're going to say, it'll take, you know, such and such time. And you're going to have to realize there's, there's optimism in there. They're, they're being, they're probably being optimistic. So that's where sort of you as a facilitator of estimation or project manager, your sort of natural pessimism, which again is, is inherent in that planning fallacy can help balance that or counterbalance that. What we found in our agency that we've been really working hard to kind of root out is the opposite. And so what I see all the time is someone will give an estimate and then someone will make a comment about like, wow, that feels high. Or, you know, I think this is actually going to be easier than you think. And they'll start to use those kinds of words, which actually is the opposite of what you want to do because the science tells us that those people are already being optimistic. If you start to frame things that way, you're actually making them more optimistic, which is actually going to work against you. And so what we try to do is, uh, this is another thing called, the, called just framing, which is the idea that how you present something to someone will impact how they respond. Mm -hmm. And so if I present a project to you or a work, a, a work item to your task and I say, yeah, this should be pretty easy or like this is pretty straightforward, you're going you're gonna to have that colored and you're going to say, okay, that's, that's probably pretty easy. I think that this, it, right? yeah, that's going to be a little bit, uh, little bit easier than I think. Mm -hmm. um, and so we try to like, that's a big piece of bias of, you know, those little things that you say. And so um, we try to come up with, we try to tell people like, don't, don't use words like easy or simple or straightforward because it'll, it'll A, uh, make people more optimistic than they already are. B, we found that a lot of our team members just like straight up don't like that because it, it in a lot of ways kind of devalues the work they're doing. If you tell them like, yeah, this thing you're going to do is simple, right? They kind of what we were talking about earlier. So that's a big one. Uh, framing and then the planning fallacy is a big one. And then there's other like little ones that come into um, things like the anchoring bias, which a lot of people might be familiar with, which is basically the idea that you, we tend to rely really heavily on initial pieces of information, which is kind of the anchor. So this is a lot around numbers. Like if I throw out a, a big number, like, oh, the client only has, you know, X number of dollars for this project, um, that will, again, influence people and in how they estimate because they're going to have that anchor, uh, that anchor there. So there's a lot of little things that come into play. Um, we've actually put together what we call the sins of scoping, um, which are, you know, six different things that are around biases that kind of help people understand the little things that they do that um, inject bias into that estimation process. I like that. So this, the, the sins of scoping 
are those things that are kind of made public to everybody who might be involved in an estimating session or estimating a project so that it's kind of like setting an expectation before you even get in a room to have a conversation? Oh yeah. Uh, we did a, we did nice. a big workshop where we went through it with everybody. And then in our, the, in the document we use for estimating, which we call our workbook, um, they're right in there front and center. And I've tried to train people to say like, look, I, I want to hear people like calling people out on it. Um, you know, not in a negative way, but just in an accountability way. Like, Hey, you're framing this, this way, this is, you know, you're, you're just make sure that you are kind of staying more objective and not using these subjective adjectives that make it seem like something is easier than it is. And again, going back to kind of what we talked about in terms of thinking through the facts, what we try to train people to do is if you find yourself saying that this is straightforward or this, you know, we should find efficiencies in this or whatever the, the, whatever it is, just stop and ask yourself why you think that. Why do I think something is simple? It could be simple, but think why it, think about why it is and present that information to the team. Um, and that should be the input that they use. Absolutely. Those are good practices to have when you're in the project too, right? Like th those are kind of things that a team can rally around because change happens in projects. Estimates need to be reworked. Sometimes you get into projects and you realize your estimate was way off and you have to think through things over again. So do you kind of keep that, those, I guess, uh, what did you call them? The, the six sins of scoping? Do, you, do yeah. you kind of keep those top of mind through the course of the project or do you have other kind of similar kind of ideals within your, your company or your teams? Yeah, I think those are good things to keep in mind throughout. I think the other thing we try to do, um, you know, we could get better at, I think this is probably true of any project manager is just try to like revisit scope as you go or, or revisit estimates as you go through the project. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in other words, if, you know, again, you're at the wide end of the cone of uncertainty, if you do an upfront estimate, and if you use that as the basis throughout, you know, you're not really, you're not really seeing what's changed. And so if at, at different milestones, we try to get people to say, okay, stop. And let's, let's actually look and reestimate this a little bit. Cause even if it's way, way off, I'd rather know that than being surprised by it. And I might not be able to rectify it by going back to the client and asking for more money or more time or whatever. But again, knowing it, just knowing it out in the open um, will at least help you overcome it versus being surprised when, uh, when someone goes way over budget, way over time, and it takes longer than you, know, you expected. Absolutely. Yeah. Those are things that you just want to get ahead of regardless of the situation so that you can, as the PM, think strategically and find another path or find a way to do that thing with a lower budget, you know, motivate the team to kind of get there if they can, or just eat that time and cost and just go for it. Right. Yep. Yeah. All right. So this has been really cool. I, you're, you're really educated on the bias thing, which is awesome. And thank you for sharing that with us. On the podcast here, we kind of, I, I, every episode, I ask a final question that's kind of in keeping with the show title, which as you know, is time limit. Um, and it feels like those time limits can also be resource limits and they can impact our estimating process. Like I think those limits or the stress around those limits can definitely create bias. So I kind of two questions around this. So first, should you create estimates based on what you think a project should take or should it be based on your current reality? So I guess an example of that might be like on a project, I know that I need two designers to get work done, but I don't have two designers free. Do I estimate for two designers and hope that I get another later or do I plan on using one? 
I hope, I hope that makes sense. But it's just this idea of, I know that I need more, but I don't have that now. So let's create an estimate based on what I have right. Yeah, I would say do whatever kind of gives you the most um, the most flexibility or whatever is going to be sort of the most um, uh, you know the most conservative estimate that kind of you know allows you to set the right expectation and be able to potentially uh, exceed it in the future. So this happens frequently with us where we'll say, okay, you know we're really really loaded up with uh, designers right now, so let's put an estimate together that assumes that we're going to be able to put. 20% of a person on this project right now because we're really, really loaded up and it's going to take a lot longer. We're going to stretch a big amount of time across a lot of weeks. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then it's a happy surprise if, you know, because the thing is, of course, reality is going to change. And in most people's worlds, things are moving really, really fast. And what you thought was reality today is going to be different tomorrow. So uh, we, we always try to do it where it's, you know, let's, let's do it kind of conservatively and what gives us the most flexibility to set a good expectation and then gives us the ability to then be sort of the heroes and come in and say, well, actually, you know, we just had, we had our schedule opened up and we can put more of this person on it. We can get it done quicker or we can put another person on it or just kind of give yourself options. So whatever right. gives you the most options is what I would lean towards, um, so you set a good expectation because the last thing you want to do is set a bad expectation and then be like, well, actually, we can't really do that. It's going to take longer than we thought. Right. So it's like, it's be realistic about the level of effort, right? Totally. And if it's the level of effort you needed two designers, but you've only got one, then give that one designer the time that they would need for two people to do the work. Exactly. If that makes sense. And also okay. like sometimes bringing in another person doesn't make things quicker. It makes things harder. And so, so keep trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. So here's my, my second question, and it's more around just time and being busy, right? Like we have time limits on our day-to-day just because of life and, and busyness at work. So there are times, I'm sure, in your life working in an agency where a big important client comes up and they've got this new idea and they need an estimate out by you know tomorrow or the end of the day. And that might kind of deplete the amount of time that you have to pull those subject matter experts into a room and talk through and do work breakdown structures. So what's your recommendation for when you're stretched for time and you just need to get an estimate out quickly? How can you do that and feel confident about it? Yeah. So I think the first thing I would say is to plan plan for it. In other words, you know, you know you're at some point you're going to be asked to put something together quicker than you thought. You know, if your normal mm-hmm. time is two weeks to put an estimate together, put a plan together to have a expedited process so that you can do that in five days or one week or whatever the case might be, which is what we've done and we try to hold to. So, you know, we have a normal estimation process and then we sort of have the, the, quick, the quick route. You know, if, if something does have to go quick, here are the things that we absolutely must do because I think naturally what we find is people want to subvert pieces of the process and just get right to the end and just get right to the number when they're under pressure to do it. And what's funny is that in those situations, you actually should be more dependent on the process and be more, have more scrutiny over what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Because when you're moving that fast, you are for sure going to forget something, going to miss something. And that's just, again, human nature. So I would say, you know, think through if you have an estimation process now, think through what the quicker version of it would be. What what are the must-haves that you have to go through so that you so everybody knows when that quick issue when that quick thing comes in, 
this is the way that we go about it. These are the things that we have to do. And here's sort of the minimum amount of time it takes to put an estimate together. And then the other thing is, is realize that that quick estimation process is a risk of the project that you're going to have to manage because again, you will undoubtedly have forgotten something, have misestimated something. So either spike the estimate a little bit to account for that, uh, or just be very cognizant of the fact that this estimate was put to, be, to put together quickly. And if you have to hand that estimate off to a PM, make sure they know that um, so that they can be aware of it. Because again, there will be gaps in there right. and uh, you just kind of have to manage around them. Absolutely. This is all really great information and really good advice. Jacob, thank you so much for joining me today. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. All right, have a good one. Yeah, you too. All right, so I need to know, what's your bias and how are you gonna overcome it? I'll share a little bit about mine. So my estimating bias tends to be the planning fallacy that we discussed. I have to say, I'm really good at underestimating and realizing that a few days before some things do. Yeah, I need to get better at that. Anyway, thanks again for listening to Time Limit. If you're enjoying the podcast, give us a good review and subscribe so that you know when a new episode is available to download or stream on your favorite service. And of course, check us out at teamgant.com if you're looking for a quick, easy, and well-designed project management tool, or if you're just looking for some free PM education. We've got you. Until next time. Thank you.